Well, this is quite something. <laughs> I was thinking about, obviously when Steve asked me to do this, I was thinking about coming and standing in front of the church, standing in front of you guys. It's June 2019, isn't it? Rewind two years to June 2017. That's when I first gave my life to Jesus. So, if, so in those two years, what could I possibly have to offer people who have been Christians for many, many more years than that? And that was quite intimidating. That was quite... Is this echoey or is it just me where I'm standing? Just me. I'll, I'll stand like that. That's fine. We'll carry on. It's all right. Um, yeah, it was quite intimidating. Maybe if I stand behind the speaker a bit. That's better. Um, yeah, it's quite something to be able to speak on God's word from two years of being a Christian to people who have been a Christian many more years than that. That's not just me, is it? No, good, that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, but of course, what I'm preaching on is God's word, isn't it? It's God's eternal word. It's God's forever word. The story itself is from 2,000 years ago, but his message is forever. So my two years, people's more than that, 50 years plus for some people perhaps, God's word is forever. And so hopefully we can tap into that and there'll be something for all of us. So today, it's the next part of the I Am series. Uh, we're looking at I Am the Resurrection and the Life. That's from John 11, for those of you that want to read along. A well-known story from the Bible, where Jesus raises Lazarus, his dear friend, raises Lazarus from the dead. The thing that struck me reading this is just how many nuggets of wonderful truths there are in there. Reading through, I went through with Steve earlier on in the week, just sort of talking about all the things that are in there. And... I've come to the conclusion we could do a whole series on this chapter. So hopefully none of you have anything planned this afternoon, because um, it's going to be a long one. Uh, no, we'll just, I'll try and stick to something, something in particular that God's been speaking to me about whilst I've been reading this, and he's been talking to me about it. Hopefully I can share that with you, and the Holy Spirit will be able to speak to, to us all in that message. So let's have a read of John chapter 11 which I can never find when I need it. So we'll start at the beginning. Jesus and his disciples, they find themselves, they've, they've, they've been preaching. We heard last week from, from um, Mick when he was talking about Jesus preaching about being the good shepherd. And after that, the people, the people he was preaching to, they got fed up. They thought, he's actually, he's actually speaking blasphemy. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to stone him. So Jesus and the disciples, they, they fled they left that place and they, they, they went um, across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at the beginning. So they've done a full circle in Jesus' ministry. He's back to where it all started at the beginning. And this is where we begin. So chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? 
But anyone who walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she shared it, when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, Mary saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
Lord, Father, as we dig into this story, this, this story that you've, you've given to us, Lord, I just pray that, that your words will, will highlight things in us all, things that we need, to, we need to see and things that we can dig deeper into so that we can, we can get closer to you, Lord. We can get closer to you through this story, Lord. We just pray that your Holy Spirit fills this room and that everyone in here, whether they've been a Christian for many, many years, whether they've been a Christian for very few years, or maybe for people who are still exploring, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will dwell among us today, and that we can hear from you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, I'm just going to get some water. Luke, could you grab some water? Thank you. It was a very long chapter, lots of talking. <laughs> so, as I say, I was reading this, and I really struggled. I really struggled to put this sermon together. The main reason being that I, I had to travel, as many of you know, travel quite a lot with work, had to travel to Manila a few weeks ago. And I thought, okay, I'm away from the family for, for two weeks, perfect time to sit down, spend some time in the evenings after work, I can go and work on my sermon. Thank you. Let me just... Hmm. That's much better. Thank you. Oh, my tongue can move again. Perfect. Um, so that was my plan. Go to Manila and I'll be able to plan the sermon. But I struggled. The enemy had other plans for me, unfortunately. He had plans that struck me really hard when I was in Manila. I was struck with this anxiety, this just difficult feeling. I was waking in the night. I mean, you expect a bit of jet lag when you travel that far, but I was there for 10 days and the jet lag didn't go. I was waking in the night, lying in bed scared. Like I was looking into this black pit, this nothingness, this kind of scary, scary feeling had overcome me. And it, it was feelings, a sense sort of of my own mortality. It was this feeling of death, this feeling of you're going to live, you're going to die, and you know, that's kind of it. That, that was what was whispered in my head the time I was there. It was horrible. It was really, and I know that a lot of people here, I'd reached out and a lot of people were praying. There was a lot of prayers, lots of supportive words from, from lots of people. So I know that what was going on was a spiritual thing. There was lies being whispered to me. But even so, it was possibly the most challenging 10 days of my short time as a Christian so far. Incredibly challenging. It was a test of my faith. Because what we believe is that through Jesus we have eternal life. And there I was, struck with this fear that that might not be true. If it's not true, that's scary. That's hard. That was really challenging. And they were the words that were going on in my head. You don't really believe this. You don't really believe this, surely. That was what was going on. I realized, though, luckily, that actually I did believe it, and I was holding on to God. I was holding on to God through prayer. I was reaching out to people, and there was all sorts, all sorts of things going on while I was there that I could tell a whole other story about, that I knew God was there in that, in that time. God was there with me through that struggle. So I wasn't on my own. The thing is, though, belief, that thing that was going on, you don't really believe this. That was the thing that kept coming in my head. And belief is critical. Belief is, is everything. If you read the statement here, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And what does Jesus say after this? Do you believe this? Belief is critical. It's at the heart of it. Let's have a look at some of the people in the story. So we hear a lot from Martha, obviously a big part of this 
What does Martha and her sister do when they're going through this difficult time? They, they reach out to Jesus, don't they? They say, Lord, the one you love is ill. They reached out. That's good. That's what we should be doing. It's what I was doing in Manila. I was trying to reach out, just hold on. It was hard, but that's what she did. She said, if you had been here, Lord, he wouldn't have died. She had faith that Jesus could heal Lazarus. She had faith there. She said, didn't she, that I know he will rise on the last day. She was saying that, wasn't she? I know he'll rise on the last day. And she even goes on to say, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come to the world. She said these things, but there was something missing. There was something missing in what she was saying. It was all the right things, but there was something missing there. There was just a disconnect. She calls on Jesus for healing, doesn't she? She calls on Jesus. She relies on Jesus to come and heal. Jesus didn't immediately respond. Jesus didn't immediately come back, heal Lazarus, everyone can celebrate and carry on. That, that isn't what happened. She has no faith that Jesus could deal with the situation after Lazarus had died. The faith ended with Lazarus dying. Jesus could heal before that, but after that, that's the end. If you had been here, she said, if you had been here, you could have healed him. It struck me there's a slight difference to the story from Luke chapter 7, where the centurion, his servant is ill, and he sends for Jesus. He knows that Jesus can heal, and the centurion, when he hears Jesus is coming, sends out some people, says, I'm not worthy to have you here. You don't, you don't need to come. Just say the word, and he'll be better. But last, with this story, with, with Lazarus, she needed Jesus to come and sort it out, and that would sort it. There's a slight difference there. There's a disconnect with what she was saying, the belief that Jesus is Christ, and what she really was going on with her faith. Jesus asks for the stone to be removed, doesn't he? And even then, Jesus has said all these things beforehand. Even then, she's saying, well, let's leave the stone there. There'll be an odor. You know, this isn't, maybe we don't want to be doing this, Jesus. There's a disconnect with all those things she was saying she believes and what she was doing, how that was really impacting her life, how that was impacting the way the faith, her faith, was presented. She says she believes in Jesus, but doubts Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead. There's something missing, isn't there? What about with the disciples? The disciples were there. They have no intention whatsoever of going back to Judea, do they? they have no, they've just escaped there. They've just escaped arrest. Probably they're going to get killed. They'll get stoned for blasphemy. So they don't really want to go back there. And Jesus says, let's go back. And they're like, let's not go back. Let's, let's stay here. This is good. If we, if we re had a read chapter 10, we'd see they've gone to this place and they're ministering to lots of people. It's all good. Lots of people coming, hearing from Jesus. Great. They don't want to go back to where they've just been. They don't want to go back to death, do they? When Jesus says Lazarus is sleeping, I think they see this is a great excuse. We don't need to go. He's resting. It's fine. We don't need to go back. Let's stay here. We don't want to go back. We don't need to. He's resting. He'll get better. And when Jesus says that Lazarus has died, the disciples seem to have run out of excuses. And Thomas, bless him, he, he says, well, okay, Jesus, we'll, we'll, we'll follow you. We'll follow you and we'll die with you. There's kind of this, there's enough faith there, isn't there, to follow Jesus, to step out in that faith. Okay, we'll follow you, Jesus. Don't know where you're taking us. We think we know, we think we don't like it, but we'll do it. So there's, there's, there's faith there, isn't there, but there's still, death is still an undefeated enemy. Of course, they're living before the cross. 
So death is an undefeated enemy for them. Who else have we got? We've got Mary, Martha's sister. Mary remains at home, doesn't she? She doesn't even go to Jesus when Jesus first comes. She stays at home and eventually comes to Jesus, says exactly the same thing as her sister. If you'd been here, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And the Jews in the story as well, I mean, perhaps he wouldn't expect them to have much faith in Jesus. He had been in the area, he'd been doing lots of, lots of miracles, there'd been lots of signs and wonders there, but they had also thought that there was something else going on. They had not long before that been trying to capture Jesus and to kill him. So maybe you wouldn't expect them to, um, to have much faith in who Jesus was. They are quick to acknowledge that Jesus loved Lazarus, but they then question him, don't they? Saying, well, people say that he, he let the blind man see again. People are saying that, but surely if he did that, he could have saved Lazarus, and he couldn't. So he's clearly not who he says he is, is what they believe. So I think with all of these people, there is a disconnect, isn't there? There's a disconnect between what they're saying, the level of faith they're claiming to have, and what's really going on. Jesus needs us to believe, though, doesn't he? He wants to draw us into something deeper, something much deeper. And why does he need us to believe? It's not for his sake, is it? It's not for Jesus' self-esteem, for his ego. There's none of that going on, is there? It's not, oh, you've got to believe in me because, look at me, I'm wonderful. That's not what Jesus is saying. He knows there's something more than that, that, that faith, that belief is something that has to go on in the, in the mind, sure. But it also, it's a heart thing. It's absolutely got to be in the heart. And in the darkest moments in this story, you can see Jesus drawing people deeper. Let's have a look at that. Let's see how Jesus does this. I mean, we can only imagine the urgency, the pain, the, the, the difficult situation that Mary and Martha found themselves in. Their brother is ill. I mean, he didn't just have a bit of a runny nose. He wasn't just a bit of hay fever or something like that. He was, he was ill. He was seriously ill. They sent for Jesus. The urgency there is huge. And what did Jesus do? He waited. He didn't immediately respond. He didn't immediately return. I'm sure that, that raised questions with them. It certainly struck a chord for me. When I was in Manila and I was praying, help me, Lord, this is terrible. Just let me have a good night's sleep. Let me wake up in the morning, Lord, and just feel refreshed. I just want a good night's sleep. I want to wake up. I want to look forward to the day. Sure, I've got to go to work, but I'm meeting. I, I, let me look forward to that. Let me look forward to eating. I was off food for 10 days. That is not like me. That is horrible, horrible being off food. And Jesus didn't immediately answer. And it really, reading this really struck a chord with how that was for me in that difficult moment when I was feeling trapped, feeling a long way from family and friends. And I wanted Jesus to just, I don't know, be like a genie, rub the lamp, get my wish, boosh, sorted. And that isn't how Jesus works. Jesus works by drawing us in to something deeper. I'm sure we all have had times when we've been in difficult situations. I'm sure you can think of times in your lives when things have just seemed bleak, hard, and you just want it to be better. You just want it to be fixed. And for those of us who, who are Christians, we'll, in those moments, be calling on Jesus, won't we? We'll be longing for healing. We'll be longing for the situation just to be fixed. And sometimes that takes time. Sure, there's times when we'll pray for healing and they'll, it'll happen straight away. There'll be a huge, miraculous healing. 
And other times there's a slow journey that Jesus is taking us on. Much like here, though, Jesus met Martha, met Mary. He was there and went through it with them. He was weeping with them. He was in that moment with them. So why does Jesus wait? Why would he not just fix it straight away? We're told, aren't we, in, in his um, Sermon on the Mount, he says, ask and it will be given. I think we expect if we ask, it'll be given straight away. That's not what he says. Ask and it'll be given. But Jesus has other things, doesn't he? In this chapter, in verse 4, why does he wait? Verse 4, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's something far bigger than just healing Lazarus's illness. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 15, for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. This difficult situation is there so that they may believe. There is more to this story than just raising Lazarus. Verse 40, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. He wants them to believe. He doesn't just want them to see Jesus as a healer. He wants them to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 42, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. There is far more to this story than Jesus healing people. There is far more to this story than Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. As much of a miracle as that is, there is far more in this story than that. It is Jesus taking our hearts in the darkest, saddest, scariest of times in our lives and drawing us closer to him. You see, Jesus doesn't view this situation the same way as us. For Mary and Martha, all they can see is that their brother is ill and that he's died. But Jesus sees so much more than that. Death is not the end for Jesus, is it? For Jesus, death is asleep. That's how he describes it in this. Lazarus has fallen asleep. It's asleep. And, and who can wake people from that sleep? It's Jesus, isn't it? It's Jesus that can wake that. That's how Jesus sees death. It's just a, a sleep. You can be raised. There's there's something deeper here. He's drawing them in to something more, something more. He's concerned with the faith of Martha. He's concerned that Martha has more in there to unlock. He's concerned with Mary. There's more in her heart to unlock. The disciples, they've spent three years with Jesus by this point, seeing all these wonderful things, but there's still more to unlock. And of course, for the Jews as well, that he was there. He, he was there in their land. He was there for them. He was, he was there to save them. And he wanted to unlock that in all the people in this story. Again, I see this for me in Manila. When I was there in the dark times, in that difficult, difficult situation, I mean, Lou knows, I, I was in the middle of the night for me, luckily was you know, late afternoon here, I was ringing Lou two o'clock in the morning in tears. I was so distraught, so scared. But in that, I could see Jesus didn't cause that situation. He didn't cause me to be anxious. He didn't cause me to be in that dark place. But he was there with me, and he was drawing me closer to him in that difficult situation. 
Jesus, in his mighty, mighty wisdom, allowed me to go through that difficult situation so that my faith that was based on so much when I became a Christian two years ago, looking at the evidence, looking at how the evidence presented itself and going, oh yeah, this leaves me no option than to believe it. It leaves me no option because I've looked at it, I've thought about it, and yeah, that's the answer. That's great. That's great to unlock the mind to these things. But in that moment, Jesus is drawing my heart in. He wanted a heart-based faith for me. He wanted a heart-based faith for Martha, for Mary, for his disciples, for all the people there. And he wants that for all of us in this room now. A heart-based faith for us all. That is what he gives us. What's he do for, for Mary and Martha? He meets them in their grief. He's there with them. He weeps with them. And he gives them what they need him. That's what they need. It's not what they expected, though, is it? What they expected was for him to come back to four days earlier and heal him and <laughs> we can carry on. He knew so much more. So much more. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I have a tendency to be a little bit of a cynic at times. I was chatting, this, chatting to some people about this, and sometimes when people say to me, Oh, I prayed for this and it happened. I prayed for this and it happened. And it, I can be a bit of a cynic. I can sometimes go, is that, was, was that really an answer to prayer? Or was it just, you know, just the way things turned out? You know, we can sometimes put on rose-tinted glasses, perhaps. But there are some prayers that get answered in such a way that it can only be from God. It can only be from God. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. Let me share you with a prayer that I've been praying over the last two years. My time as a Christian, this was a prayer that's been going on for pretty much the whole time. My parents, as some of you will know, they split up when I was eight. Um, they divorced. They both like, went on and remarried. Um, and that was a difficult time, difficult being eight and sort of sharing time with my parents. They were really good about it. They, it wasn't an awful, terrible, terrible time, but it obviously isn't ideal, is it? It isn't ideal... Oh, I was with you last Christmas, so I've got to be with you this Christmas. But all, of that, that, all that awkwardness as a child isn't wonderful. It's not great. But that's the situation I found myself in. They went on, remarried. My dad's second marriage fell apart, and he lives around the corner from me on his own. He, you know, it's great having him close. My mum, she remarried. Um, and a few years ago, moved up to Morecambe in Lancashire. She moved up there with her husband. But she was in quite an abusive relationship. Um, to the point where that relationship fell apart after her husband put her in hospital. He attacked her one night, and the neighbours fortunately heard what was going on. They called the police, and the police came round, took him away, took my mum to hospital. She was in hospital for a few days with her injuries. It was a truly terrible, terrible time. He was put in prison, and... And I was praying, I wanted my mum not to be up there because all her family is sort of down here. I'm here. I was praying to God, Lord, she was stuck up there. She was stuck. She couldn't, she couldn't move down. She didn't have the money. She didn't have the, the ability to come down. I was praying to God, Lord, find a way, please, that my mum can move down. Find a way that she can be close to me, close to her grandchildren. And in my head, I was thinking, I know what it's going to be. I know what it's going to be. It's going to be a lottery win, isn't it? I'm going to win. I don't play the lottery, so it would have been a miracle in itself. 
that I was thinking, I'm going to somehow come into all this money and I can buy her a house around the corner. She can, she can come. That was what was going to happen, of course. That was what I, what I expected, what I was hoping for. Money, sorted out. There you go. God had a far bigger plan and something that can only have come from God. His plan was to look at my mum where she was and wait. Look at me and wait. And then he went to my dad, who, as I say, lives around the corner, and started working on him. Started working on his mind, his heart, digging away at some of the difficulties that had happened when they split up, making him look at things. He stumbled across an article that was about, you know, parents who split up and why marriages fall apart. He was reading it thinking, oh, I've got some stuff here. There's some stuff here in me that I'm, I'm to blame for this. And he sent this article to my mum and said, look, I think, I think I've got something here I need to, we should talk about. You know, I think I did something wrong back in the day. And this all was going on. I didn't know this was going on in the background. And then at the beginning of this year in January, all of a sudden my dad announces that he's going on holiday with my mum and his sister. They're going on a barge for a week's holiday around the Midlands somewhere. And I'm thinking this is a little bit odd, a little bit strange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, um, and they've since announced that, yes, their, their relationship is coming back together after 25 years of divorce and all the difficulty. They're getting back together. And my mum, in answer to my prayer, my mum later on this year is going to be moving down from Morecambe. God's found a way that wasn't the way I expected found a way that she's going to be moving in with my dad just round the corner from me, close to, her, close to me, close to her grandchildren. There is no way that that is anything other than God at work. There is no way. Sometimes God will work in the background, in the strangest, obscurest of ways and change hearts and change minds and change situations in ways we couldn't even imagine. I wasn't praying for that. I was praying for a lottery win. <laughs> Man. You see, this is, this is how God works. He works in incredible ways, drawing people in, drawing people close. It's what happened to me in Manila. There was a complete transformation in my heart through that difficult situation. I've come back from Manila. Yeah, with a heart change. There's faith now that used to be all based up here that is now also based in here. God saw my heart. He looked at it and went, a bit of room for improvement there. A little bit of something. Let's, I've done a lot of talking, so I'm going to get you guys to do a little bit of talking. Let's split the room nicely down the middle. I want this side of the room, if you've got your Bibles there, I want you, you probably don't need your Bibles for this one. Can you look up John chapter 3, verse 16? Do you know that one? And on this side of the room, Romans chapter 10 Verses 9 and 10. Okay, have a look there. Now, when you've got it on this side, someone nice in a loud, nice loud voice, read out John chapter 3, verse 16. Absolutely. Amen. Whoever believes in him. That belief is right there in the heart of probably the most famous of all the Bible verses. Belief is right there. Now, if someone on this side has got Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, can you read out in a nice loud voice? Yeah, 
Amen. If you believe in your heart. For with the heart, one believes. The belief is a heart-based belief. Our faith can be based on our knowledge. It can be based on studying all the wonderful things in here. But it needs to be heart-based. It has to be in the heart. He used the difficult situation in this story to draw people into that deeper heart-based faith. He used my difficult situation in Manila to draw me into a deeper heart-based faith. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He then follows it up. Do you believe this? See, Jesus in that statement tells us that eternal life isn't something in the dim and distant future. It's not something to look forward to in the future. Eternity is now and forever. Eternal life is now and forever. And what does it mean for us? Well, it means like Lazarus, we can be free. We can be free. After Lazarus had been raised from the dead, was that the end of the miracle? There was one more nugget in there from Jesus for us all. He said, unbind him and let him go. There were still things there. There were still things that were holding Lazarus back. He had his life. He had his life. But there were still some things there that needed to be unbound to set him truly free. Jesus says this to us. If we're saved, we can be unbound from our fears, our doubts, and we can be free. Amen? Yes. Amen. Steve. I think Steve just wanted to follow up on, on that point. Are you on that one? 